0: Welcome to episode 159 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to schedule a second session with your game group for your new campaign game. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about campaign games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, Hink's Gazette box Set, Origins First Builders Solo Mode, and Push. Then we talk about board games that can or must be played in a campaign. And now here are your hosts,
1: Ambie and Crystal, plus special guest and patron of the show, Pam. Recently, I got a couple of review copies that I'm going to talk about. The Hinks Gazette box set from Team Bluefish Games, and I also got Origins First Builders from Board and Dice. So I'll talk about the Hinks Gazette first because we've mentioned before. We've talked about the curious elevator of Mr. Hinks and the curious stairs of Mr. Hinks. Both people yeah. I played those. Those are a really fun escape room type board game. And then the Hinks Gazette is like set in the same universe as The Curious Elevator and The Curious Stairs of Mr. Hinks. Well, Hinks is like his name, I guess. He's like some eccentric (laughs) rich person. Yes, (laughs) Mr. Hinks. Yeah. But there's a lot of like funny stuff in the universe. And so the, the Gazette is a newspaper puzzle. So I think I've mentioned before the Hinks Gazette too, because I had done a couple of them back when I did The Escape Room. But each gazette is one page of newspaper. And it looks like a newspaper, like back and forth with different sections in the newspaper. Like there's like classifieds and like comics or whatever, a bunch of different sections. And then within those, there's puzzles, maybe like five or so puzzles per newspaper. And then it gives you a final word at the end that you input into their site online. And then you get to go on their like leaderboard of people who have finished the gazette. Uh, and then the box set has five different newspapers in the box plus some like bonus goodies that aren't spoilers so like it comes with a pencil I think and like a, a pin and a sticker and some other stuff and all of these things are like within the universe of Hinks and the Hinks Gazette so like if you've played some of them you'll you might recognize some of the things in the stickers uh it, it's like just funny stuff and Crystal you also got a copy of the yeah the box set. so
0: I haven't had a chance to play through the box set yet mm-hmm. I'm hoping to soon, but I did open it up and see all the cool little, like, trinkets (laughs) and knickknacks in there. And I have to say, first off, the people at Team Bluefish are super nice. Mm -hmm. And they really put a lot of thought and care into all of their products. We've really enjoyed them, especially because, like they're they're somewhat unique as far as escape room experiences go a lot of Mm -hmm. the other board game based ones tend to be a little more similar in nature and this one feels different often Mm -hmm. than some of the others and i really like the stuff that they put out so i'm really excited to try them out
1: yeah and then it's nice quality components too like the bonus things it's like it looks like real stuff but it's all just fake in this universe. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But for for the newspapers themselves, they have a really good hint system similar to, I think, the one in the escape room, hinks, Curious Elevator and Curious Stairs. But basically each newspaper... You click on the hints for the newspaper and it shows you like the puzzle and it has like hint one, hint two, hint three, like, so on. So there's like small hints that you can get. And that's very nice for a room yeah. type game. It's, it's,
0: it's definitely nice. It's that whole, okay, like this is what you need. Mm-hmm. This is how you're going to manipulate it. And then yeah. this is the solution eventually. Like if you really, really stuck.
1: yeah. And so yeah, I I really enjoyed it. So if you like the idea of newspaper puzzles, I only did it one player. It's like one to two player, probably because it's just like a newspaper page that you want to read. Then yeah, the the box set is a good deal because you get five for slightly cheaper than it would cost to do five on their own. And then you get like bonus swag.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And honestly if you're if you haven't played the others pick up the Curious Elevator and the Curious mm, Stairs yeah, at the yeah. same time they're they're a lot exactly. of fun truly. Yeah.
1: yeah. So then the other review copy that I'm talking about is Origins First Builders. I'm going to talk about this later sometime too because I actually only played this game solo. Origins First Builders was published in 2021, uh, designed by Adam Kopinski, but is a 1 to 4 player game. It's a worker placement Euro type game. I don't know. There's like a lot of different things going on where you're, there's these dice that you're placing around. You're building up a civilization. And so there's like different actions you do. You place, your workers, which are dice onto the board to do the different actions. And you're trying to like go up different tracks, build different buildings on your little city grid and get a bunch of different points in all these different ways. It was reminiscent for me of games like Sulkin and Teotihuacan, that type of game, like which I haven't played in a long time, that type of game. But like it felt very similar to games. Like I enjoy playing those, but like I just haven't sought out playing a game like that in a while. And then I've never played one like that solo. So uh, I actually streamed it a couple weeks ago solo and it will be, it'll, it's on our YouTube channel, The VOD, for this. So you can watch my attempts at playing solo for the first time. It was kind of like a solo learning game. And now I kind of know what it's like for people to, who say like they play a game solo to as a teaching game to be able to teach it to other people because I'd never done that before. So I, I enjoyed it. But I do want to play multiplayer because with games that are worker placement for me, like I like having the tension of other people placing their workers as well. So in Origins First Builders, what's interesting is you don't actually block spaces from people. But when you place on a space, the space has a number from one through six. And there's these little like dials that turn on the space. So like when you place your die on the space, your die has to be equal to or greater than the value. And then you increase the value by one. So like the order that you go in matters. Like you want to make sure you go when you can still afford to go there because otherwise you have to pay extra if it's if it's too high of a value. In the solo game, you end up increasing that one and then you increase another one by one. So like it's basically a puzzle. You don't, there's no uncertainty in which ones are going to get increased in the solo game. But in multiplayer, it's going to be like the tension of like, oh, are they going to try to go to that space before I go? So then I won't be able to go and then I won't be able to afford it like that. So I, I really was excited to play multiplayer origins first builders but like yeah i just wanted to mention that i did play it solo and i enjoyed it my first ever solo play of a long game like this Well, that's not that long but like a a bigger table space game like this because all the other solo games i played are like small print and play games so yeah that was origins first builders awesome All right, well, I am going to talk about a game that I know I have mentioned on the
0: podcast before, but I don't know if I've ever done a full review of it, and I think it deserves it, and that is Push. So Push is a game from Ravensburger that, honestly, if you saw this sitting on a store shelf, I think most hobby gamers would glance right over it and just move on (laughs) it kind of like the box is kind of reminiscent of uno to me to some degree and it really looks like not a like a gamer's game what's interesting is i actually got it for free back at bgg con in 2018 and i know i talked about it after i picked it up and played it so push is a push your luck card game for two to six players the deck consists of cards numbered from one to six in five different colors, and then there are also some reverse cards and some wild cards, and there is one die that comes in the box as well. What you do on your turn is you draw cards from the deck, and you can place cards into one of three piles. You just start three piles. Each pile can only have the same number or color one time. So if you draw a blue card and put it in the first pile, and then you draw another blue card, you have to put that in the second or third pile. You keep drawing as long as you want until you draw a card that you cannot place because of the aforementioned rules, or until you just want to stop. If you stop before you bust, before you draw a card that you can't place into one of the three piles, then you get your first pick of one of the two piles, and then two other players will take the other two piles in turn order. And that those reverse cards I mentioned earlier will change the direction in which... Piles are taken, but it does not change turn order. So, turn order always moves clockwise, but depending on if a reverse card has been played or not, you might actually be picking up piles in reverse order. So, why would you want to give cards to other players? Well, that wild card that I mentioned earlier is where things start to get interesting because when you pick up one of those wild cards, you have to roll the die. The die has six faces, and five of them are the colors that are on the cards in the game, and one is black. If you're forced to roll that die and you roll a color of some of the cards you've collected, you must lose all of the cards of that color that you've collected up to that point. So that die can be pretty devastating. So ideally on your turn, you want to put a bunch of good cards into one pile and not very many in the other two piles except maybe some of those wild cards because it is actually possible to give another player just a wild. So they don't get any new cards except they do have to roll and they might lose some of the cards they previously collected. There is another action that you can take on your turn. Instead of deciding to draw from the deck, you can choose to bank cards of any one color that you've previously collected. So generally, all of the cards you've collected are at risk unless you have banked them. So when it gets to your turn, let's say you have a lot of cards in purple, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose these points. Then you can choose to bank your purple cards And flip them face down, and they are now safe for the rest of the game, and then play will pass to the next player. And you just keep going around and around until the deck runs out, and then you count how many points are on your cards based on the numbers displayed, and whoever has the most points wins. It is relatively simple to teach, to learn, to play, but it has a lot of interesting fun, especially in how you're distributing the cards in those three piles. And I taught it this weekend to my partner and his two teenaged daughters. And the younger one, who is 12, typically is not much of a gamer. And she was not super excited when I brought the game out. But after we played it the first time, she came back the next day and asked to play it again. So I'd say that's a ringing endorsement for it. And honestly, this is just one of those games that's great to break out. I, I know people don't like the term filler game because it kind of makes games feel less than, but truly this game is great as like a little, oh, we've got a few minutes to kill between larger games or while we're waiting for somebody to show up for game night or whatever else. And the footprint of the game is relatively small as well. It's a small tuck box. I'd say like the size of maybe two standard decks of playing cards ish, so it doesn't take up a lot of space. You can easily put this in a quiver or a backpack or pocket. I really, really enjoy this one, and I just I think this is one of those games that like most gamers would enjoy ha- having in their collection, but not that many people know about it from what I hear. So it's called a push. It's from Ravensburger. It's probably harder to Google, but I imagine if you Google push Ravensburger probably a little easy to find and I, I imagine i actually haven't looked up what it costs but i can't fathom it's more than like 10 bucks so i would highly recommend it yeah to just about anybody
1: yeah i remember i got it at bgg con too because we were both there yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I was surprised because it definitely looks like an Uno-type game from the box. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, I, when I,
0: yeah. yeah, I picked it up off the shelf and I was like, oh, this is garbage. Like, truly, that's what I thought. Like, <laughs> and that's obviously not a good thing to think. And we've discussed on the podcast how I should not necessarily judge games by their cover, mm-hmm. but I did. And yeah. I am very glad that I decided to try it because mm-hmm. it's really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All right, let's dig into our main topic for the episode. If you heard our last episode, this was something that came up when Ambi was talking about the Lord of the Rings journeys in Middle-earth. We were like, wait, we haven't really talked about campaign games specifically as a topic on the podcast before. And
1: I thought that might be fun to do. Yeah. So we're going to talk more about Lord of the Rings journeys in Middle-earth. and <laughs> <laughs> other other campaign games too
0: (laughs) so pam are there any games that have campaigns that you have played that you really enjoyed
2: yes there's i'll say three one primarily a solo which is one deck dungeon oh yeah it's a lot of fun Uh, on the app it is really easy and fun to play it as a campaign because it stores Mm -hmm. all your stats you don't have to keep track of paper or anything and that one's a lot of fun It's always on my iPad, so stuck in an airport, stuck in a line somewhere, you can, you know, knock out a game and that one's a really good time.
0: Yeah, I've actually played that on airplanes multiple times because it really can kill a lot of time, but it doesn't feel like arduous to play through.
2: Yeah, it's easy, but it's got some some variety.
1: Yeah, for sure. I didn't even think about solo campaign games because like a lot of times <laughs> when I think of campaign games, I think, oh, it's hard because you have to like get the same people together to play it all the time. But with solo, you just have to get yourself to play it. And still with me, that's still kind of hard because- Yeah, <laughs> you got to get yourself together. <laughs> I was remembering, oh, I did play a solo campaign game, Bargain Basement Bathosphere, which is a free print and play. Um, I think they they're actually like printing it as an actual game now, but uh, oh, nice! I mean, like it's it is an actual game, but like a published game. But yeah, with that one, I played through part of the campaign, like half of it, I think, and then it was getting like longer and more difficult to play a game because like each game was lasting longer. So then I kind of stopped.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and we'll we'll hop back to Pam's other two games here in a second. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's I put, I wrote down a couple of other solo specific or games that play really well solo that are campaign mm-hmm. games so under falling skies from cge is a really highly regarded oh, yeah, that
1: one's a campaign huh?
0: campaign game yeah that's yeah. solo only i mean you could sin- uh, basically play it cooperatively with someone else if you yeah. wanted but it's intended to be a solo game and yeah. then legacy of dragonhold which you all have heard me talk endlessly oh, about yes technically also could be played with multiple people but i really enjoy it as a solo experience so it's i think yeah for me i when i think of campaign games uh, the the solo ones are not what come to mind for me first Mm -hmm. either
1: yeah, and I actually did play through Legacy of Dragonhold and finish it. So yay, woohoo! <laughs> but that also reminds me that that's kind of like a role-playing game too, an RPG. And like role-playing games are are usually campaigns. A lot of those are like campaigns. They're not board games, I guess. But it's it's you know <laughs> the line gets blurred,
0: right? Like is yeah. Legacy of Dragonhold a board game? Yeah, it's
1: because it isn't. That one's like, on Board Game Geek, but like <laughs> role yeah, play, it's, other role-playing it's, games aren't. And so right. But yeah, like, I, I guess role-playing games are where I first was introduced to campaign games because when I was a kid, I played Dungeons and Dragons, and then that was a campaign. They were called role-playing campaigns, right? <laughs> like, so that I was more familiar with that before campaign board games.
0: Oh, yeah. And I would imagine we have probably a lot of people mm-hmm. who, not, not necessarily that listen to our podcast, but out in the world, who don't think of mm-hmm. board games when they think of campaigns, but they do know like about Dungeons and Dragons and other yeah. role-playing games. Mm-hmm. So Pam, what were those other two games that you
2: mentioned? So yeah, the other two, one of them was Charterstone, which okay, with a group, I believe we had a group of five on that one. And I loved it. We played it through a campaign. We did play that one digitally because a couple of people had kind of moved around. But that was really handy as well, because then the app or Steam, whatever people were on, keeps track of everything. And <laughs> you can then save off. Just like you would have a board with stickers all over it at home, you can save off the board that you end up with and then play on that board when you guys get together and and play again. So that one, that was fun and very handy to do the app.
0: So Pam, you're just mentioning things that inspire conversation. So we're going to interrupt your (laughs) list of three again, because this, this brings up a really good point that... Legacy games are generally or I would say in almost all instances campaign games but not mm-hmm. all campaign games are legacy games. Charterstone definitely is both a legacy and campaign game. And for those listening who aren't familiar with legacy games, I guess we didn't really define a campaign game, either. <laughs> yeah, we maybe didn't. we should do that. So, but like what you a think cam- of <laughs> Right. For me personally and you all feel free to to mm-hmm. differ in how you would define it. For me a campaign Campaign is a game that you play multiple times that generally has some sort of story associated with it, and you progress through the story each time you play. And the Mm. gameplay might be incredibly similar each time or a little bit different, but generally you're playing the same game, but just with some different factors put in. And then a legacy game is all of that, but where you're making permanent changes to the components of the game as well so there's still mm-hmm. usually a story element but then you're gonna re- remove or remove or add or modify components of the game and potentially change the rules of the game in more dramatic ways in a legacy game do you all think that that's probably a good way to define those
1: yeah i think so um yeah for me yeah. like the story is a big part of campaign games is like having like an overall arc to the whole game campaign and like each game is like a chapter of the story or something.
0: Yeah like when I was making lists of games I actually put a couple on here that I think really aren't necessarily campaign games they're more just games that have multiple scenarios Mm -hmm. so like Mansions of Madness which I put on my short list I was like that's technically not really a campaign even though you can play the same characters through multiple scenarios there really isn't an overarching story, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like you can play Mm -hmm. them kind of in any order. So that's not really a campaign. Although... You could play. You, you could take those scenarios and play them like a campaign. You could kind of do it on mm-hmm. your own, but the game doesn't natively connect the dots for you.
1: I wonder is would time stories be a campaign with all the expansions? Because there was like an overarching story, but like it's multiple games, so it's not like a campaign game. It's a campaign series or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, that actually <laughs>
0: that would probably count. Yeah, it's like a campaign series one that was so wonderful until it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) and i'm still i am still bummed about that folks i'm the the, i'm not i haven't i'm not over it basically All right, so Pam, what was what was the third one on your <laughs> yes, list? Yes, so the, the third one,
2: I'm hoping will actually pass the official and clarified campaign <laughs> definition.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for the record, you can say whatever you want. So, yeah. like, you're
2: <laughs> um, you know, there, there's nuances to everything. But no, the third one is, um, <clears throat> and I think every time I join all y'all, I end up bringing up this game, but it's Kingdom Death Monster. And oh, nice. It really does have a campaign. You have a character that you hope lives for most of the campaign if not you start you know you have basically you're building a civilization so -hmm. you may end up with 20 characters in your town and you can take any one of them out on your little adventures that you go on but it's it's very campaigny and in, in my estimation because you're you're discovering things, you're gathering resources, you take those back to camp and build armor and potions and weapons and it's a very deep campaign and there's so many expansions now you can do there's like the lantern campaign and the sun campaign and the people of the something else <laughs> campaign so there's a lot there
0: So do your characters then, like, get stronger and, like, get new abilities or anything like that during the campaign?
2: Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. You, like, you don't even get a name until you get through the prologue because you're probably going to (laughs) die. So, like, you get through the first first kind of prologue and then you earn your name. And then you go back and, you know, you might use skinned a lion. So now you have lion armor and you can build those things and craft things. And yeah, you learn skills. You can get better and better with weapon mastery and those those sorts of things. So yeah, definitely character growth.
1: I still haven't played Kingdom Death Monster and like I think part of it is because it's like a big campaign thing and is there like a one off scenario that you can play?
2: Or? I will say sort of. Like, if you want to decide if it's really something that you want to invest your time and, mm-hmm. and life into, <laughs> life savings into, you can play through the prologue and it will give you a mm-hmm. taste of how what's called the hunt goes, mm-hmm. how the mechanics of, you know, moving the characters. You always, pretty much always play with four characters. And it does, the prologue does give you kind of a, training scenario and an introduction to how everything works. And then when you come back from that training scenario, you get to start your civilization. So Mm. it really gives you a good taste of why you want to keep coming back if you're into that sort of long haul Civ building.
1: Uh, I guess that's true of a lot of campaign games, like if you play like the first scenario or something, you get a taste of what it's like. But that is like a, a problem also with campaign games is that if you want to get into it, you're you have to like devote yeah a lot of time to it. And that's well, and for me, yeah,
0: <laughs> for me that's kind of why. Like for you, you're saying you might you're kind of interested in Kingdom Death Monster. I've had mm-hmm. other campaign games that I've been interested in, and I kind of I don't like specifically avoid them, mm-hmm. but. If I'm not really, really super, like, bananas excited, yeah. I will generally not do it because then, it's like I almost don't want to like the thing at that point because if I do like it, now i got to find time for this Yeah, thing. it's like, oh, gosh, like, I have to do this now. <laughs> right? so, and I want to like it, obviously, so then I just don't play the things. Like, honestly, Charterstone, that legacy game, is a good example. I think I might like Charterstone, but I'm just like, I don't know if I want to do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I will say with, with Charterstone, the rules are easy enough that, you know, it's I'll, not easy, but they're familiar. It's still worker placement and that sort of thing. So it's it's familiar to very familiar to people that play other board games. So you can approach that one. You know, if you only play Mm -hmm. once a month or once every two months, it's not like you have to relearn some really in depth mechanics and rules and that sort of thing. Where bigger games like kingdom death monster (laughs) i've only played a little bit of gloomhaven but i think it has a little bit of that where you know you you, if you put it down for a month you've got some relearning to do when you pick Mm -hmm. it back up so that's that's definitely a the bigger the game the longer it takes to ramp up if there's any amount of time between your plays Mm
0: -hmm. okay that's yeah that's a good point i wonder we have a lot of people in the blitz discord who like playing games digitally i maybe at some point I should reach out to people and see if there are people who are interested in any of these legacy or campaign Mm. games that have digital implementations, because I might be able to find people who are interested, and it would be obviously easier, well, in theory, to get people together to play a game digitally Mm. rather than in person, because I'm really not meeting up with my in-person game group that often still at this point, so...
1: yeah. Yeah, and then like setup also is a lot easier digital. Like I, yes. you mentioned Gloomhaven, like we had started a campaign with our old neighbor who is now lives in Germany. So that has stopped, but, um, but yeah, like setup took a long time. And so if we just played one scenario in a sitting, like it just felt like a waste because there was so much time for setup. But then another thing with Gloomhaven is I think like you don't need the same people to be playing. You can use different people and different characters. I'm does anybody really, sure. really do that? Though? I don't know like, if anyone I mean, does it, but like, I think you
0: can. <laughs> but I guess theoretically things... you
1: can in other campaign games too. You just catch people up on what happened and they just use that character, right?
0: That's true. So. And I think <laughs> there are especially some campaign games that especially IP-based ones, where even if there is an overarching story, if people have some base level familiarity yeah. with the IP, then it kind of doesn't matter. I think, like, mm-hmm. for instance, Star Wars Imperial Assault, like, it's technically not based on any of the Star Wars, like, movies or mm-hmm. uh, books or TV shows. But, like, if you know Star Wars, you kind of know, like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, whatever yeah. else, and each scenario is different. And so, like, I when, back when I played through that whole campaign, I think we actually did have... A couple people who came in and out while we were playing and we I think sometimes even switched up characters because the characters if I remember in that campaign don't necessarily change a lot between scenarios I don't think that they like Mm -hmm. level up or anything I think you gain new items if I remember correctly Mm -hmm. it's I could be misspeaking that game came out like eight years ago now so I really don't remember but yeah that one was pretty easy and then I think I've mentioned offhandedly the princess bride adventure book game from Prospero Hall that one literally each scenario is based on a scene from the movie. So if you've seen The Princess Bride, you you could hop in at any point in that one. Like if you're playing Mm -hmm. through the whole thing, it doesn't really matter whether you've played through pages one through three in the book. You could play page four. And if you've seen the movie, you're like, oh, I know this. Like you don't (laughs) need to know anything else, basically. (laughs) I think for me, some of the most exciting or the campaign games that I tend to enjoy the most are the ones where you do have a character that grows or changes or Mm -hmm. gets new stuff or new abilities over time, but not like too much because my brain will forget that I even have an ability (laughs) if I have too many. So back when I played through the Arcadia Quest campaign, the base game of Arcadia Quest with my friends, we were only playing, I want to say, like once a month-ish. Um, and that was back at a physical game store. And we would get together and play through one or two scenarios whenever we got together. But I think that game had a pretty decent save system for how you like saved your cards and your items and things like that. And at the end of each scenario, you could buy new items. But the gameplay from scenario to scenario was fairly similar. So it was fairly easy to jump right back in it's like oh i have this item okay whatever like that was in the thing from last time but i did like that like our characters basically got stronger and cooler over time
1: mm-hmm. yeah i like that too and I, m- I mentioned that with lord of the rings dreams in middle earth where like we got one level up and upgrades and stuff and then that was it. <laughs> I was like, oh no, no more. Yeah, <laughs> But like, yeah, I haven't played as many campaign games recently. And I think I don't because it's harder for me to get them. And when I do play campaigns, I want to play them regularly. Because I remember back... Like a long time ago, we played Descent 2nd Edition. We played through a whole campaign of that and we played like weekly with that. And that was a lot of fun because it's fun like doing the story progression, leveling up and getting more monsters. I was the overlord in that one, so getting more monsters and stuff. Uh, But... Nice. uh, Recently... There have been some campaign games where that we've played where it's just like, it feels like a chore because like, it's like oh, we have to finish this now because we started it. <laughs> and, and it's funny because like, even okay, if it's a thing you enjoy,
0: it does feel a little bit arduous at times.
1: Yeah. And like, even if you liked it at the beginning and then it's like, you're halfway through and it's like, okay, now it's like a sunk cost. We have to finish it. Because we want to see what happens at the end of the campaign. And even if you're not like really enjoying it, we're like, okay, we got to just finish it and then we'll be done <laughs> forever. Yeah. Well, that, that
0: can be brutal for sure. <laughs> well, and that honestly, that brings up a really good point in that I think as board game publishers and developers and designers, I think that there is a really like tough thing for them in that. How do you make the campaign tense and dramatic and interesting but also can like almost guarantee that it will have some kind of a satisfying conclusion because I have now played multiple games time stories being one of them <laughs> where the last scenario or last you know whatever of it kind of soured me on the whole experience uh, betrayal legacy would be another one for me and truly I liked playing betrayal legacy and I would recommend it to people who like betrayal But I would tell anyone going in, just don't necessarily expect – like, no matter how well you're doing throughout the whole campaign, the last scenario, my particular group just ended up in a situation where we literally could not win. Like, there was nothing we could do just based on the way things fell, Mm luck-based. And that was really unsatisfying. Like, I don't mind a very difficult win or a nearly impossible win. But it was – genuinely not possible for us to win that last scenario and that was really disappointing
1: yeah I think pandemic legacy season one was like the last time I had a satisfying conclusion to a campaign I don't even remember the end of it, though. But but I think I think it had like, I think I was satisfied by that. Yeah. But I know like recently. Well, OK, one that comes to mind is The Crew, which is a campaign. Um, that is and, a good point. And my group did not like The Crew. Well, we liked the first few plays of it. OK, but then it got just like boring for us because it was just I don't know. it was repetitive and like some of the levels were just like hard just based on the luck of the which which tasks came out for the cards like you you couldn't win just based off that and so we just had to are you are you talking about
0: mission mission deep sea then
1: uh no no, just the regular crew.
0: Oh, I see way so what the way the hands were dealt. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah the the
1: tasks are dealt and then the hands are dealt and then it's like okay, yeah, we're we're not going to be able to get this one. And then but because we played um four player through like the whole campaign and there's like a little story there and so I wanted to see the story. <laughs> it's not much of a story. But yeah, the I will admit the the story is underwhelming <laughs> yeah in, so it's not even much crew. of a story but like i had that feeling that i have to finish the campaign because it's a campaign and even though it's like not really but, yeah and yeah. for me
0: the i really enjoyed the crew and i did play through the entire 50 scenarios with two of my friends kathy and elissa we played it on board mm-hmm. game Arena to make it a little easier and for me unlike most campaign games where the story is the draw for me Mm -hmm. in the crew the challenge of each scenario or level was more of a draw for me so it was Mm -hmm. kind of just like a let's see if we can do all 50 and the story honestly we were pretty much ignoring it the whole time and that's unusual for me in other campaign games usually the story is more important.
1: Yeah, uh, I was the only one who was reading the story because <laughs> that's the part I actually enjoyed better than the game at that point. Yes.
0: Well, there are a lot of campaign games that we have not mentioned. Just yeah. about everything Jerry Hawthorne has put out, like Mice and Mystics, mm. Stuffed Fables, Aftermath, Familiar Tales. There's the, um, the stuff over from Red Raven games, like Near mm-hmm. and Far, things like that. Not to mention TCGs and LCGs that technically have
1: campaigns as well. Oh, some of them. Uh, Like Lord of the Rings, LCG, yeah.
0: Yeah. Arkham
1: Horror. Arkham Horror, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, there's. I I haven't finished any of those
1: either. (laughs) I know.
0: And I think that's going to be the case for a lot of gamers, right? Like I know some people are very dedicated to those types of games and kind of create, like make them into lifestyle games. But for me, I have to have a group that basically from the get go is like, we're going to do this whole thing because otherwise I don't want to start stuff and then not finish Mm -hmm. it. But I also don't want to start a thing and then have to finish it if I don't like it. (laughs)
1: Yes, so it's a catch twenty two. Yeah, yeah, and then with the card game ones, they just keep coming out with expansions. So like, it's a never ending campaign. Right? Yeah, you <laughs> like you you can't even. There is no end. There's no end.
0: Yeah. Pam, any final thoughts on campaign games? Well, it just made me
2: wonder when we talked about you know you want to have those exciting endings, and I wonder if that was some of the inspiration behind a legacy game where we know Mm -hmm. it's going to have this story arc and an ending and adding that you know you have to tear this card in half or you have to put this sticker on this board and it's going to be there forever Mm -hmm. I mean being a board gamer you take care of your cards and you keep stuff off the board and Mm -hmm. then you know actually being told no you need to do this it's a it's kind of a different level it's almost breaking the fourth wall of board games yeah <laughs> where you're doing damage and and does make it more permanent where you know like a D campaign or or anything else like oh well yep that didn't work out too well let's start again mm-hmm. you can't do that once you've torn up the cards <laughs> So it's interesting ponderance.
0: For sure. My first legacy game was Pandemic Legacy Season Mm 1, and I played it with three friends. And the first time I had to rip up a card, I was like so nervous and it took me like a while to actually do it. But once I broke that seal, anytime we had to destroy a component, once we had a, de- like definitively confirmed that we had the right component and we definitely needed to destroy it because we did want to make sure we didn't screw up, man, I gleefully tore those cards in half. I was, and what what really sucks is then later, we've I've played campaign games with that same group, but they weren't my copy of the game. My buddy Greg, shout out to Greg, who listens to the podcast, when we played Betrayal Legacy anytime we were supposed to completely destroy a component he just put it into the bottom of the box and I was so disappointed the (laughs) whole time I was like let me tear them (laughs) so thanks for not letting me tear up your game Greg whatever (laughs) it's fine obviously (laughs)
1: And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website boardgameblitz.com for video and blog content as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Visit lastlightgame.com to late pledge for your copy of Last Light today. And don't forget, you can get any non-exclusive game from Grey Fox at a twenty percent discount by visiting greyfoxgames.com and using the code GFGBlitz2022 at checkout. Join the here community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com/boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Marlowe. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Until next time. Oh, this game campaign. <laughs> Baby, it's much too long. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I like having the tension of other people working. Or, er, <laughs> of other people working. <laughs>